Well, as we begin our sermon time tonight, I, I want to ask a question. <coughs> then we'll get to the sermon. But here's an important question. Good job. Do you like chocolate pie? Can I have a show of hands? Do you like chocolate pie? I, 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 I love chocolate. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly, Chris. So, yeah, I love chocolate pie. Here, here, how about this one? Does it look pretty good? Well, let me tell you, this is the best chocolate pie I've ever had. It's just so delicious. And the, the key thing, oh boy, hmm. thank you, Leo. Uh, the key thing is that we want dark chocolate, we don't want dark lights right now. Uh, the key thing is when, when, you, when you have chocolate pie, you want it to taste like what? Chocolate. Like chocolate. No, you want it to taste like chocolate. You don't want it to just look like chocolate. Uh, and, and this is something this is something I struggle with because uh, I, I've had quite a few chocolate pies, maybe even the majority of chocolate pie, where you bite into it and it's kind of sweet, kind of creamy, maybe cooling on a hot day, but it doesn't really overwhelm you with chocolate. And I want I want the chocolate to just feel like it's just leaping out and smacking me in the face. I want chocolate. That's why I love that. I, I was I was going back through photos. And I, I saw that picture, and I just thought, oh, now there, there was chocolate pie. And I'd like to tell you where you could get it. Unfortunately, the place closed. So I, I, I can't offer dining advice tonight, but I can say we know when we go seeking something, when we want something, we want it to actually be what it looks like. If, if I want chocolate pie, I want it to taste like chocolate pie. If I want lemon meringue pie, I want it to taste like lemon meringue pie. Whatever it might be, I, I want it to be what it looks like. As we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is talking about the different things that he's calling us to, these, these challenging things we've been looking at the last few weeks, what he's doing is calling us not to just be those that look like chocolate pie, that look like the church, that look like the kingdom of heaven, but to actually taste like the kingdom of heaven. That when, when people sample us in the world, that they experience a bit of who God is. Now, we're fallen and we're sinful, and so they don't taste just who God is. But our calling is to be more and more like Christ so that as people come up and get that slice and it looks so delicious and they bite into it, they don't say, it look good, but they actually experience it. So we're going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to fix this, actually. It's one of those technology days. Hello. Uh, <clears throat> so um, what does it look like to taste different than the world? Because if you think about it, if, if you approached a piece of chocolate pie and it was really just Cool Whip that was dyed brown, but you never had chocolate, and you never had Cool Whip, you might still say, well, this is pretty good. But if you've had lots of Cool Whip, you know what it's like, and you b bite into what's supposed to be chocolate pie, and it's just this Cool Whip that's dyed, you'd say, eh. So how do we look different than the world? And, and one of the places that Jesus is going to challenge us, I believe, most, even though it, it kind of seems actually kind of common compared to some of the things we've been talking about the last few weeks, is telling the truth. 
We live in a society that debates a lot about truth, and, and Jesus lived in a society that debated a lot about truth. And so he's going to challenge us here to be thinking in terms of what does it look like to live as those who are people of truth? And it's funny, I, I think if I asked, if I, well, let's do it actually. You know, show of hands, how many of you think that truth is important? You know, I'd, I'd actually kind of worry if you said, eh, you know, give or take. And yet, and yet I think even though we know that truth matters, we don't understand how much it matters to the heart of God. We let it kind of get chipped away at the edge. And that's what happened in Jesus' time as he's ministering to these people. He's ministering to people who had chipped away at the edges of truth. And he's going to challenge them and challenge us as he addresses that. And that's what we see if we turn to Matthew chapter 5, start at verse 33. Jesus says, again, you have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Well, as we wrestle with these words, let's come before the God of truth and ask that he would guide us, that we would see his truth tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for we know it is true. As we come before it, and we come before it with all the burdens of our heart, would you help us to see those places where we have lost sight of the importance of truth? Would you help us to be those who taste like truth, who, who show truth, who shine truth into this world. If people come looking for it, they would find it in your people, in your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, there's a lot of consideration here on vows. And maybe at some point you've thought about vows. If, for example, you've been called up to, to testify in court, you're going to be sworn in. And so suddenly it's very present in our minds, right? What does it mean to give a vow? Well, they're going to take a Bible out and you're going to put your hand on it and you're going to swear something. That seems like it's kind of important. Uh, there are some other times, uh, for example, weddings. Uh, if, you, if you're married, you, you've made vows. There's, there's a set of vows. Um, we don't do a lot of vows. We sign a lot of contracts, though kind of like vows. We, we do things to demonstrate, okay, I am saying something, I am committing to something, and I'm going to do it. And, and so, you know, some of them sound very much like what they were doing at that time. We've changed some of the ways we approach it, but the basic principle is the same. We want to demonstrate that we're going to come through on something. The first thing that Jesus is going to say here, which might seem counterintuitive since he says not to vow, is that vows are really important to God. Vows are crucial to God. And, and we're not going to get fully into this tonight. Actually, our series we're doing on Monday nights, we're going to talk a little bit more about the vow that, that God makes to Abraham tomorrow night. And, and so, just briefly though, the basis, if you think about it, of God forming a people that leads up to the Messiah, that leads to the church, is based on him vowing to Abraham. So, so God vows 
and that's important. And he wants us to be thinking as we approach this of what he said in the Old Testament about vows. For example, if we turn to, to Deuteronomy chapter 3, we're not going to look at it tonight, but if, if you turn there, you would find the emphasis that if you make a vow and you fail to do it, that that's a sin. So if I vowed a formal vow before God to you tonight that, that we were going to paint that wall orange behind you before next Sunday, be all ready for Faithtoberfest at the end of the week. It's going to be orange. Now, there's nothing moral about or immoral about that wall being orange. Uh, if you have decorating taste, you could either say, wow, accent wall, or boy, that sounds atrocious. But there's nothing moral about that either way. If I said, you know, maybe we should paint the wall orange, I, I would hope none of you would say either horrible sinner that you are, that you would ever paint the wall orange, or that you would instead say, well, that's the only holy thing to do. I mean, that'd be ridiculous. But if I vow before God, I am going to paint that wall orange, then it becomes a sin if I don't. Because I have now invoked God, and I've said, I'm going to do this, and so if you show up next week and I haven't done it, you should come up to me and say, well, you know, personally, I wouldn't paint the wall orange, but you vowed before God that you're going to. What's going on here, Tim? Why haven't you painted the wall orange? Why does it matter? If, if the wall doesn't matter, why does it matter once I've taken a vow that I do it? And, and some of the things, are, can be, it could be that silly. It could be something that, that you do that you want to demonstrate your love of God, and so you vow before him that you're going to give up something. A lot of people do that during Lent. You give up, well, chocolate. I just made you hungry for chocolate. You say, I'm going to give up chocolate. I love chocolate. Well, you didn't have to give up chocolate for Lent, but if you vow that you're going to, then it would be a sin not to. So it's, it's important to God that we do that, and it's important to God because he wants people to see in the world that we are as we're advertised, that we are his people. And as we're going to see as we go through this tonight, the key thing is that God is a God of truth. And so if, if we're going to say that we're his people, then we should be a people of truth. And if we vow that, that we're going to give up chocolate or we're going to paint the wall orange or we're going to do this, we're going to do that, whatever it is that we, we say we're going to do, that's important to God. He wants us to actually mean what we say. Because God means what he says. I mentioned that with Abraham. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. The author of Hebrews says, ta- is talking about that that oath that God gives to Abraham, and he says, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So he, he, he's talking about that oath. He, he goes into that for several verses, and he says, this is what God has done. He said he was going to do it, and then he swore by himself that he was going to do it. And so you have two immovable things, two unchangeable things. God said he was going to do it. That's good enough. But then he goes and he he gives an oath on top of that on his own character. He says, by those two things, he said, this is going to happen so you can have hope. So if we're going to be people who represent God, we're told we should take oaths seriously as well. Now we might say, but Jesus says, don't don't, don't swear at all. He, He says that. Tim, he says that literally here. He says, don't do it. Well, what Jesus has in mind is a little bit more nuanced than that. And we see that, for example, we take a look. There's a number of examples in the New Testament. For for example, 
First, excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says, But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. So Paul here is saying, I'm going to invoke an oath that, this is, that I'm telling you the truth on this. First Thessalonians, Paul once again, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Here Paul's actually calling the people to be under oath. So if we're not supposed to swear at all, then what's going on here? Did, did Paul not get the memo? Did he not understand? Well, no, Paul, Paul's aware of what the Old Testament says, but he's also aware of what Jesus taught. And it comes down to understanding our place in things. Does anyone have a, 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 a bill, uh, like money, that, that you could lend me? Yeah, thank you. Um, no, thank you. So, um, yeah, we're doing offering in the middle of the sermon. No, uh, no seriously. Uh, so here's a, do you, do you think very much about the, uh, the bills that we use? And, and maybe you're like me, you don't use them very often anymore. Uh, it seems like most things are electronic, but... But if you have, this is a $5 bill here. We have Honest Day, perfect for tonight. Uh, you have this. Exactly how much is this worth? Well, it's worth, yeah, it's worth $5. Now, imagine you went and you handed it to somebody who had never heard of the United States. And they said, um, you know, you, you were somewhere in some distant land and, and you wanted to buy a meal and there was this little place and the person said, well, you need to pay me for this meal. And and so you say, well, here, 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 have an Abe Lincoln. Here, have a $5 bill. Let me give it to you. Would the person appreciate that? Probably not. Because they say, why are you handing me this useless piece of paper that has, some, has a picture on it of a guy I don't know? It, it, it has no value to me. Well, actually it does, because if the person then learned what it was, he could know or she could know, well, I can hand it in and then I'll get something for it. It's backed by the U.S. government. And that's really the key thing, and you can see that it's actually written on the bill. It demonstrates that, that the U.S. government's saying, we're good for this. We will pay you for this. We will exchange for this. It's backed by our full authority. So if you have that, that dollar or five dollars, you need more and more these days, but if you have whatever amount that you need, you can hand it over and you can get things even though it's just really a worthless piece of paper. Why? Because of who it's backed by. Well, if we make an oath that, and we invoke God, who's it backed by? It's, in, it's backed by God. And so what Jesus is challenging us here to think about is not to just flippantly make oaths. Because what we can do, what is in our own ability to do, is worthless. It's like handing a piece of paper. Just because I can hand that $5 bill back to Melanie. Now, now, Ellie, if I just pull this piece of paper out of my Bible and hand it to you, it's just a piece of paper, um, would you like this piece of paper to, is that worth anything to you? No, yeah. Well, it's a very nice piece of paper. But no, it's not worth anything because it's just backed by me. I don't have the full faith and trust of the U.S. government behind me when I say, okay, here, I'm going to give you this or something. What Jesus is calling us to is to be much more intentional about our language and the way that we speak, that we're not invoking God for things that we have no power to do and maybe not even any intention of doing. That's where he's challenging us. 
And it comes back to where Jim was taking us last week to think about what's the purpose of the things that we do. Are we doing it for our own benefit, for our own pleasure, for our own seeming passing happiness, or are we doing it for God's glory? And if we're thinking about God's glory, then what we need to be thinking about when, when we think about, well, I'm going to make an oath now, is, is this oath going to glorify God? Or is it about glorifying me? I want people to listen to me, so I'm going to make an oath. I'm going to make myself sound important. I'll, I'll go ahead and invoke God. Or am I thinking about, I want to be known as someone who's doing God's will. Now, the people of the time understood this to an extent, and they also understood the Ten Commandments. They, they understood that you shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain. They didn't want to do that. And so what Jesus is going through here is, is thinking, okay, so if we shouldn't say the name of the Lord flippantly, and sometimes we keep our oaths, sometimes we don't, maybe we should come up with important but less important things by which to swear. And so Jesus goes through some of these things that they literally were using. So I'm not going to swear by God, I'll swear by heaven instead. But Jesus says, but, but heaven is his, foot, is, is his throne, it's where he reigns from, it's where he's chosen to represent his power from, don't do that. Okay, well then we'll swear by the earth. Well, no, scripture tells us that the earth is his footstool. We see that, see that in Isaiah 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? You see, we can't do anything. We can't build God a new throne. We can't build him a new footstool. We can't do anything like that that he doesn't already have. So when we swear by those things, when we invoke the things that God has made like that. It's sort of like if you wanted to go buy a car and you decided as collateral for buying that car to put down your neighbor's house. Your neighbor wouldn't like that very much, right? Because it's not your house. Hopefully the bank would catch it. And so we say, okay, well, I can't, I can't swear by heaven. I can't swear by earth and the things of earth. I know what I'll do. And, and so people would think this, well, I'll swear by myself, on my own life, my own body. And Jesus says, but you can't even change the color of your hair from black to white or white to black. Now, he is not making a comment on current fashion trends and whether you can go to the hair salon and have your hair dyed. That's not the point that Jesus is making. What Jesus is really addressing is our natural hair color. A and given that he's addressing an audience of, of people in ancient Palestine, their hair, generally speaking, was going either going to be black because they weren't yet to the point that their hair had turned white, or it was going to be white because it had, turned, it had reached the point where they were at the age where it, it had turned white. And so, in some sense, you know, if he were speaking to us, maybe he'd use more different hair colors. But the basic point is, if your hair's going to turn white, there's nothing you're going to do about it. It's going to be white. And if you think about it, even if you dye it, it's still white underneath. And if it's not, if it's black, that's God's doing too. God's the one that does it. If you can't even affect your hair color, then how dare you use your own body and your own being to, to, to swear that you're going to do something? That belongs to God, too. He's the one 
in charge of that. And so often in our language and the way we talk, we're, we're using all these oaths and, and swearing things, and, and we just kind of work it into our language where we invoke God's name as we're trying to intensify and say, I'm really feeling like this is an important thing or what have you. As John Calvin points out, the, the problem is it's a lack of necessity. We don't need to do it. We're just tossing around the, the full faith and trust of God just as a way to fill in space in our conversation. It gets to a deeper problem. But, you know, I, I was enjoying showing you photos. Before we get to the deeper problem, let me just, my, my um, photo library, do you, do you have it set up where it shows you this day and in, in the past kind of photos? I, I like doing that. So um, how about, I was on a, a, a fall ferry ride six years ago. I like, there's a nice picture, right? Isn't that pretty? Yeah. Yeah. So um, how about this? Isn't that just beautiful? Oh, yeah. It, it, I mean, you just, don't you just love being out this time of year, taking pictures? It just, <sighs> boy. Um, now here is something creative I saw that day. Someone made a Christmas tree out of fall leaves. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, now, I just happened to see this that day. It was really pretty. Oh, but, but let me show you. Let me show you the picture. This is my favorite picture because this is a once-in-a-lifetime picture that I caught this. How do you like this astronaut parachuting into the woods during my, my fall adventure? Isn't that just great? Do you believe me on, an, on this? No? You don't think I saw an astronaut? I mean, come on, it's right here in the photo. Well, actually, uh, it, I'll confess, uh, none of those photos are actually real. They're not even real photos. Uh, there, there's these computer-generated video graphics you can do now where you can actually type in text and it'll draw a picture based on what it knows. It's almost scary how good it is, but all that was done by that. I, I typed in different prompts and it created those. None of those things exist. Now here's the, the problem that I've just caused for myself because I, I, I told you about my wonderful trip six years ago and how I went into there and now I've shown you a bunch of fake photos. Now you don't, don't know what to do with me, right? I mean, what's he going to show me next? Should I believe it? Should I not believe it? I think this gets to the heart of why Jesus is addressing oaths because the problem is, the reason we we end up needing oaths at all because we don't take truth in our lives seriously enough to begin with. So the darker point isn't just, I mean, it's an important point. Be careful with oaths. Oaths are important to God. But the, the, here's the dark truth of this, is that the reason why this is even a problem for us is because we're people who too often are not people of truth. And yet truthful lives matter to God. And that's what we see if we go on to verse 37 of Matthew 5. Hmm. Whoa. There we are. Jesus says, Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Could be the evil one. Commentators could go either way on that, but it could either, it's either from Satan or it's just broadly from evil. But in any case, it's not pleasing to God. 
And it gets to the heart of the society of the kingdom that God is building, that it's meant to be a, a society built on truth, built on trust. Sort of things that we like in society in general, and that's what God b- wants his church to be. That's what God wants his kingdom to be. That's what will be. But if we turn to the Old Testament, this has been something that God's been calling his people to for all time. Take a look at Leviticus chapter 19. You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane, excuse me, profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Now he talks about swearing falsely, but he also talks about lying. The heart of what Jesus is addressing here is be truthful. Why, why were they resorting to secondary oaths that weren't quite all the way up to invoking God's name? It was because they knew they were going to mess up. They, they sometimes even knew they weren't going to go through with it to begin with, and they didn't want to actually invoke God. And so they came up with this whole system of wrangling of, of how binding is the oath that I'm about to give. In, in the Mishnah, the, the oral tradition that's recorded they had whole different levels. And depending on what you swore on, it was either binding or it wasn't binding. So, for example, if you swore by heaven or earth or Jerusalem, the city, it wasn't binding. But if you swore facing Jerusalem, it was binding. If you swore by God, it obviously was binding. And so they had these different levels. So if you want to let people know, yeah, I'm really telling the truth here, but I don't want to completely bind myself, you just maybe swear by earth. That's what Jesus has in mind here. And he has even that, that, that differentiation between whether you're facing Jerusalem or not in mind here and the way he words. We can't really see this in the English, but in the Greek, it's clear as he's talking about Jerusalem, he's referring to that concept of facing Jerusalem. And so he's saying, yeah, I know about all these things that you're, you're doing. But here's the problem. Why are you wrangling with it? It's because you're not telling the truth. Why are you needing to have oaths that aren't super, super important, so you're not going to use God's name, but, but you're still going to do them? It's because you're not telling the truth, and you have to somehow intensify things and say, in this case, I am telling the truth. Kind of, sort of. Jesus talks about this again in, in Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears... By the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Jesus says, you need to understand, you've come up with all these ways of trying to distance yourself from invoking God's name so you can be mostly truthful but not quite. Here's what you need to understand. They all point to God. Everything you think to swear by points to God because he's the one that made it and it's him who can lay claim to it, him whom it belongs to. And so as it says, 
in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and Jesus then alludes to, it is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. James chapter 5. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. I think these two go together. On the one in Ecclesiastes, we have the wisdom there. It'd be better not to swear if you're going to not go through with it. But James says, just stick to the basics. Do what Jesus taught you to do. Because then you can't fall under condemnation because you're just being truthful. And that's a real concern in James's letter because he's dealing with people who are going to face persecution. He's dealing with people who are suffering. And what's the temptation when we're, when we're dealing with hard things? To make something up, to somehow make it better. So don't do that. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. How many of us at some point in our lives have thought, it'd be so much easier if I just go ahead and I make up this story that explains how things got the way they are, but it's not quite what actually happened, but it somehow smooths everything over. Let our yes be yes, let our no be no. Don't misspeak for protection is what James is urging. Jesus is urging his followers, likewise, in all things, be those who simply speak the truth. And if we simply speak the truth all the time, suddenly you don't need oaths. If people know that they can believe you, they're not waiting for you to swear by something to prove that they can believe you. Now just... Briefly, I'm not trying to convict you uh, of sin if next week you get called into court and you say, oh, I was here and I heard this. And there's that Bible sitting there. They're going to ask me to put my hand on it. But Jesus said not to swear. I, I, I think when we think back to the example I mentioned earlier that in the New Testament, for example, when Paul is trying to to call the people to do what God has called them to do, he invokes God. There are times, the Old Testament allows for times for oaths and swearing. What Jesus is addressing here is this sort of flippant, messy, I just want people to believe me, and clearly I put myself in a place where they won't unless I swear kind of situation. That's what Jesus is going after here. He's calling people to truth. It, God's law will never call us to sin, so if God's law says, at times we may actually be commanded to swear an oath. Jesus actually, when he's being tried, is put under oath. He doesn't say, oh, by the way, I, I won't do that. No, he does because the, the oath isn't the problem. The problem is our attitude, one, that makes oaths necessary, and two, the way that we use them. Then We start deceiving each other. And then people don't know what to do unless we swear. Let's look at a few more photos. Well, so I was telling you about this ferry ride. 
right? How do you like it? Wasn't it a nice day, beautiful day? How many of you think that's a real photo? Well, hey, you guys are more trust. Wow, okay, you guys are trusting. Thank you. Ah, oh, okay. Well, see, now that I've shown you false photos, though, there probably is someone who's thinking, this is probably another, another trick. So what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to show you. Well, here's actual real people that you know and you can see in this room that were there that day. There, there's my mom over there and there's Melanie. You can see the two of them and you can say, oh, wait a second, that really is the ferry that he was really on because there are real people there. They're not AI-generated people. Uh, yeah, see? Yeah, see, now I've messed it up. Yeah, I mean, I did a really good job if I did, I did a Photoshop there. No, I mean, it is a real photo, but see, this is what happens in our lives is that we become less than people of truth, and then we show, we want to show something of truth, and we turn to an oath. When I wanted to prove that that first photo was, that I just showed you just then, was a real photo, what did I do? I showed you sort of a photo oath. Here, here's real people that can back it up and say, yeah, he was really there that day. That's what we're doing when we're, when we're invoking God's name. We're saying, he's the one that's responsible. But the problem is, we're not thinking that. We're not actually thinking, boy, when I just let roll off my tongue and I invoke God's name, that what I'm saying is I'm putting God's reputation on the line. What we're doing is we're taking our machine learning, AI-generated truth that isn't really truth, and we're slapping God's name on it. We were talking, actually, fittingly, in our Tuesday night Bible study about taking the Lord's name in vain, and someone said so, so perfectly, it fits so well into this, that one of the ways we do that is by not living in a way that's pleasing to God in the world. We go out into the world and we say, hey, I'm a Christian, and we live like the world. <laughs> When we, we go out in the world and say, hey, I'm a Christian, and we're mean to people, and we're rude to people, and we treat people in a way that doesn't seem to show them as image bearers of the, of the living God, what are we doing? We're taking the Lord's name in vain. What we need to understand is God calls us to truth. He calls us to truth at work. He calls us to truth at school. He calls us to truth with our friends and our family calls us to truth, even on social media where we, it's so tempting to hit that share button even though we think the thing probably isn't quite true, but it sounds really good. He calls us to surrender this part of our lives, like all parts of our lives, to him. Live truthful lives. So that as people see us and sample our lives to understand who God is, that they're tasting that deep, rich chocolate and not just getting a bunch of whipped cream. We need to actually be whom it is that we say we are. We're not going to get it right all the time. No matter how much we might want to. But we shouldn't use that as an excuse to just let it kind of flow. Jesus is calling us to take truth seriously. So that as people look at us, they take him seriously. Let's pray that we can do that tonight. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we, we so often do the opposite of what you call us to. You call us to be a people of truth. And yet too often we, we show falsehood. You call us to be 
a people who are loving and kind, who, who show your kingdom, and we don't give people in the world that all too often. And yet you give, it to, give that steadfastness to us every single day, the steadfastness you call us to, the constancy of your, of your love. Lord, would you make us more like you? can't do it in our own power, but by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.